Father God, we don't always see um, the blessings, Lord, in uh, those difficult trials and times where, um, Lord, I, I know here, some here today are, are experiencing a great trial. And Lord, I pray that, I pray that as, as they go through these times, and as we go through these times, Lord, that we would, we would cling to the fact that you are so good to us. You care for us. Lord, I pray against, against the kingdom of darkness who might try to place those doubts in our minds that, Lord, that you're not good, that you're, you're really doing something amazing, even if we can't see it. Lord, give these people faith. Give me faith, Lord, that would see that. And we just trust you and give you all the praise and all the glory because you're worth, worthy of it, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, today I want to pick up where I left off last Sunday and ask you a question. Is God disturbing you? Is God disturbing you? Is God disturbing us? It may appear that your life is unsettled. And maybe looking at it from an outsider's view, it, it, it looks a lot worse than disturbing. People might even be questioning your spirituality or your sanity. Today, I want you to know that God is calling. And when he calls, it always disturbs us. In fact, we can remember it this way. God's call equals disturbance. God's call equals disturbance. All you got to do is, is um, go through the scriptures and you see that the Bible is rife with God disturbing his people. With his disturbing calls. Think of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. When God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your family and go to the land that I will show you. And so Abraham obeys. He packs up his family, his wife, his, uh, his nephew, Lot, and goes to the land that God shows him. Now I can just imagine, I can just imagine Abraham's family saying, come on, Abe, you got to stay home. You got to stay home with me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not well. You got to take care of me. But Abraham obeyed. I'm sure that they thought he was crazy. He tried to coax him out of it. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. How he was disturbed by God when, when his brother sold him into slavery in Egypt. And then when he got to Egypt and he was faithful and he was doing what was right, God disturbs him again and he's falsely accused of sexual assault and put in prison. I'm sure he wondered, God, what, what are you doing here? Fast forward Gideon. Fast forward to Gideon. Gideon was disturbed, wasn't he? Gideon was actually hiding. And in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, he was actually hiding, and um, hiding from the enemies of Israel. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hey, Gideon, 
The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What a name. Gideon's hiding, right? Mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 14. Then David. David was tending his sheep. When all of a sudden, God disturbed him. Prophet Samuel came and anointed him king over Israel. Let's jump to the New Testament. Think of Peter and Andrew. They're fishing. Maybe it was Victoria Day weekend. They were fishing in their boat. And all of a sudden, there's this guy named Jesus who shows up and says, I'm disturbing you. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then there was these two guys named Paul and Barnabas. And um, they, were, uh, they were teaching the home builders class at the church of Antioch there. And uh, uh, just faithfully serving every week. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the work to which I have called them. When following God, it is normal to be disturbed. When following God, it is normal to be disturbed. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan goes so far as to say that only God-forsaken men are not disturbed. Let me say that one more time. Only God-forsaken men are not disturbed. Why is that? Because those who follow God are pilgrims and sojourners, as 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says. Tracy just saying about it. We're not home yet, are we? In fact, we're on mission with Jesus Christ. On this mission, Jesus will, will come with us. And we'll go with him and we'll follow him. And he'll take us to places and to people. We, more than we could ever dream of. To not be disturbed might indicate that you are not on God's mission. This was the case of the Israelites up on Mount Horeb. After wandering for nearly 40 years in the desert, seemingly spinning their wheels when actually God was actually working out all their the kinks in their character, they found themselves in a place of contentment. They had been up on this mountain for 13 months, enjoying freedom from their, from their enemies and, and enjoying sweet fellowship with God. Have you ever been up on a mountain? It's awesome. You're close to God. It's fresh air. You get perspective. And the Israelites got that for 13 months. It's better than being at NBC for the whole summer. Muskoka Bible Center. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And um, we're going to find what God does with his people, Israel. And he starts to disturb them. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. If you have your Bibles um, with you, I encourage you to turn there. And uh, if you don't know where Deuteronomy is, just look at the front of the Bible and look for Deuteronomy. And then chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Starting in verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp 
and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. It's from this passage, and then the passage at the end of the book, in, in, in chapter 32, which we'll get to in a few minutes, that um, we're going to be able to answer three questions that you may have about life's disturbances. The first question is the question we should ask first. What are we to do during the disturbing times? When you're first disturbed, you need to be able to answer this question. What are we to do during the disturbing times? The second question is this. Why do we go through disturbing times? And then the third question is, how do the disturbing times change us in the world? So let's, go f- let's unpack the first question. What are we to do during the disturbing times? Real simple. We must remember that God is in control and he always does what is best. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32. And listen to what Moses says about the Lord God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect. In all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. God created you. God owns you. And ownership has its privileges. Often owners don't act in the best interest of their constituents. Isn't that true? You understand that. Most of you are Toronto Maple Leaf fans. And uh, you've seen how the owners for years have not delivered a cup for you. In contrast, God is an owner that not only does what is best for him... But this results in what's best for us. And how do we know this? It's just what I just read in verse 4. God never, ever, ever does wrong. He is morally upright and perfectly just. Some people don't believe this. When I talk to my atheist friends, they, they struggle. They say, God can't be doing right in this situation. But they forget that they haven't seen the whole big picture. We often fail doing the right thing. Not God. And this is why he doesn't consult with us as to what he wants to do with us. God is in control and always does what is best. Even if we can't see it at the time. I'm I'm encouraging you to cling to that truth. And how do you know this? It's the cross. It's the cross. At the cross, God did what was best for him. He gained more worshipers, more followers for himself. He gained more glory for himself. Thus, God was the one who benefited most at the cross. But isn't it true? And aren't you thankful today that God also benefited you 
at that same cross? This is why when we're being disturbed, you must remember that God is in control and always does what is best. Think about the cross. Next time you're disturbed, I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about what what God has done for you at the cross. And how he, he disturbed heaven for you. This leads us to the second question. Why do we go through disturbing times? I think this question can be answered by turning it on its head. What if the most dangerous times in our lives are when we are in our spiritual lazy boys and we're enjoying the blessings of God? We're living off the fat of previous feasts of God's word and not taking action. See, you know what? I just love God's word. I love when I read God's word and it's really encouraging to my life. But I also realize that one of the, the pictures of God's word, we find this in Ephesians six seventeen and also in Hebrews 12, when God describes his word, you know what he describes it as? A sword. A sword. And when, what are you supposed to do with a sword? Is it something you're supposed to, to leave for show? No. A sword is something that you take action with. You defend yourself. You conquer an enemy. Swords are meant to be wielded to defend and to go out in victory. Now, we're not supposed to fight over God's word. We're supposed to fight with God's word. We fight Satan's lies with his word. However, when we're comfortable, we're rarely taking action. And worse... We start to rely on ourselves and not God. Ironically, not fighting will kill you. Lethargy kills. God loves you so much. And he doesn't want you to have a spiritual stroke, a spiritual heart attack. He wants us to lower our spiritual cholesterol by taking action with his word. And this is why God tells his people back in Deuteronomy 1, which we read. He says, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples of the Arabah. Then verse 8, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers. Is this message still true for us today? Can this be applied to our situation, to your life, to your workplace, to your schools, to your neighborhoods? Absolutely. Not to fulfill some manifest destiny or to conquer innocent people like they did in the Middle Ages through, through the Crusades. Instead, my friends, for far too long, we have been on the mountaintop enjoying God's blessings. Maybe we are living out the spiritual harvest of our forefathers who plowed, who sowed, And we reap the harvest. Churches all across North America still exist. But they're not going forward. So unless we break camp and go to our our neighboring peoples and fight with the word of God, not to slay them, but to rescue them with the word of God, we will not get to see 
God's good promise that Jesus says that he will build up his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God will still accomplish these things, but we'll miss out. We'll die a slow death up on the mount of God's blessings. God is disturbing us. As one of my pastor friends told me this week, the Holy Spirit is often the comforter who makes us uncomfortable. Have you found that to be true in your life? It's time to circle the blessings of God. Pray extraordinary prayers. Trust God for big things like we read about in Scripture and obey His Word. It's time to go. Go like Jesus did when He left His own mount, Mount Zion, came down to earth and rescued neighboring peoples of which you and I are one. Go with Jesus. Go and gain ground for God's kingdom. The Lord is with you. So why do we go through disturbing times? To see God's great promises fulfilled through our obedience. God is disturbing you so that you will see he is in control of your life and will work out for what is best if you obey his promises. So i got to ask you this question. What promise of God... you need to obey? What promise is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now that you need to start obeying? Write that down. Drive a stake in the ground saying, I'm going to do this through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Your obedience to God's promise helps you to really answer that third question. How do the disturbing times change us and the world? Well, simply God's disturbances are always meant to advance his people, to change the world, to to progress his people. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 32. And um, this this is uh, kind of the bookend. This kind of tells you the last chapter. The Israelites had actually left Mount Horeb, and they obeyed God. And now Moses is, is singing a song. He's giving praise for what God has done. And he's reminding the people in Deuteronomy 32.11 of who God is and what he did. Listen to what, how, how Moses describes God in Deuteronomy 32.11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wing to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Now, have you ever seen one of those nature shows where they have eagles? What they do with their young? If not, listen to what Eugene Merrill's comments on this picture that we find in verse 11. He says, When the time comes for the eaglet to fly, its mother stirs up its nest. That is, she will agitate her offspring and thus prepare it for the next phase of its development. But she will do so protectingly and not prematurely. At the same time, she is encouraging the young eaglet to fly She's hovering over it with comfort and assurance. Do you see the picture there? Do you get it? To the eaglet, it will always feel premature. Maybe you feel you're not ready to be disturbed. You might be asking, why would God disturb our sweet companionship with him up on our version of Mount Horeb? 
Why would we have to leave the beauty of his majesty that we get to see up close and personal? It's really simple. Because to see God in his full majesty requires that we see him soaring above and that we join him and we get to see his perspective. What is God doing when he stirs up the nest? G. Campbell Morgan says this, developing the powers of your own life, enabling you to discover things in which you are of himself, bearing you on his pinions in the moment of your uttermost weakness until presently he teaches you to use the wings that he has given you. A disturbing element, but a progressive element. You see, folks, God wants you to experience what you are made for and to trust God and for you to soar on new heights and to gain his perspective of what he is doing in this world. If you do, you'll see the problems from from his perspective and you'll soar in his promises. God is disturbing you. He's disturbing us. And when he does, problems that seemed insurmountable from being on the ground, right? Now have a lot different perspective. They look puny. You've been up in those planes. Gives you perspective. Those problems will now be able to be attacked in your life from an aerial view that you didn't know before. And you'll, you'll be able to see the hardest things in life conquerable because the Lord has given you the bigger picture. As someone has said, your attitude changes with your altitude. Your attitude changes with your altitude. And one of the best pictures of how I've seen this practically is through the story of Ian and Larissa. I want you to watch this video right now, and you're going to see how Ian and Larissa now are soaring on the heights with God. God is awesome. Perhaps um, after watching that video, you're thinking, I can never make the decision that Larissa made. You're right. But what if the love of God just so filled you? What if God the Father jostled you out of the nest to cause you to fly? Maybe you're even afraid of heights like me. I'm scared of heights. I'll just admit it. One thing I learned recently about heights is through studying trapeze artists. A trapeze artist cannot lunge for the next trapeze bar. They have to wait for it to come to them. If they lunge, they fall from the heights. And this is why we must also wait for the Father to bring things into our life. Especially young people who are so anxious to to get on with what God's will is for your life. So how do we know when we're ready to leave the nest? Well, often God withholds things from us to entice us out. Just like the eagle parent who hovers over the nest, enticing the young to come. Holds food there. Come on. Maybe God is withholding from you something so that you will finally leave what is comfortable 
and follow him. Now others of you in this room have been disturbed in even greater ways than Ian and Larissa. And now I just want to encourage you to encourage others that God will carry you, that he's in control, that he knows what's best. He has promises that he will fulfill if we will trust and obey him. It is then that we start to see life from the proper altitude. Seeing life from God's perspective as you follow God when he disturbs you, it changes you. It changes your decisions. It changes your relationships. It changes your your marriages, your family, your neighborhoods. And ultimately, it changes this world. So let me end with how God has been personally disturbing my family. Over the last few years, God has impressed upon my heart a greater desire for mission. However, I haven't really wanted to leave the nest called Calvary. Why? I love Calvary. It's comfortable, yet it's still very challenging. There's lots to do. Now, I want to say that no one is pushing me out of the nest. Pastor Rick, none of the leaders. Um, No one here. I feel very greatly loved and appreciated. But there is somebody who in this church is pushing me out of the nest. It's the head of the church, the Lord God. God has shown me that he wants me to see a whole other vista and involve myself where the gospel can be applied to a whole other community. I distinctly remember the day in January when I was walking to church and um, I was wrestling with God over a number of opportunities that had come my way. I wasn't seeking those opportunities. They just came, came to me. And I said to God, I'm not going to ask you what you want me to do, Lord. Instead, I'm going to ask you, what do you want done? That question is a difference maker. Because it's an act of surrender to him as master and us as slaves. We really don't have a choice in the matter. So I'm praying this prayer, and when I get to the church, I open up my computer, and I get an email. And the email reads, um, we have narrowed down our search, and we would like for you to... uh, please consider us to be the next senior pastor at our church. It's from Temple Baptist Church in Cambridge, Ontario. So how could I, after just praying that prayer about Jesus being the Lord and master of my life, not take the next step? I know the church actually quite well, Temple Baptist Church. Because my dad was the interim pastor there last year. He's had nothing to do with, uh, with this process as far as he stayed out of the selection process completely. And as Lori and I um, journeyed along with the search committee, and then the deacons, and then the elders, and there were so many hurdles in my mind. Every one of them we were able to clear with unanimous votes. And so on May 4th to the 6th, this two weeks ago, we candidated at the church. And I wanted to make sure at the front end they would know what was causing my heart to soar with Christ and how God had been disturbing me. 
If you want to hear how God has been disturbing my heart and stirring my heart over the last couple years, you can check it out on templebaptistchurch.ca and listen to the sermon um, proposal from my heart. Last Sunday, the congregation extended a call to us with a 99.4% vote to become their lead pastor. And Lori and I accepted as an act of obedience to the Lord, despite the fact that we believe that the best days ahead for Calvary are going to be without us. We don't fully understand God's ways, as we've seen him bear more fruit in these last two years than in the previous eight that we've been here. There's much work left to do. If we'll go to our neighbors and be good news to them. In fact, Lori and I believe that God wants to send revival to the Durham region. And we believe that God wants to use Calvary Baptist Church to be a part of that revival. If we will obey and if we will soar with him. There's going to be a time over the next few months to say goodbye. We're planning on being here for most of the summer. In part to, uh, to help fill in while Pastor Ken is on sabbatical. And uh, we don't start there at the Temple Baptist Church until September. So we'll give you some more timelines in the weeks to follow. But I want to say a couple things. First of all, I want to say I don't see this as promotion. It's just greater responsibility. I'm the Lord's slave. I'm one of his under-shepherds. Whether that's at Calvary or at Temple. I belong to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, I, I want to also say to you that I, I love you very much. You're so dear to my heart. And I consider it one of life's greatest privileges to be able to serve you as one of your pastors and to serve alongside you in this great kingdom work. So, may you follow God's disturbing calls. May you soar with the Lord God. And may you see life from his perspective. Let's pray. Pastor Steve. John, thank you for sharing God's word with us and, um, and sharing your heart with us as God has been taking you through this journey, and um, as a church, we will continue to pray um, for you and for Lori and uh, your family as, uh, as God directs you in this new call, and a disturbing call, but an exciting call. Um, of course, we don't have all the answers and know the immediate plans, but we know that we serve a great God, um, and we have great confidence in Him, and uh, thank you for, for following hard after Him and uh, for your journey with us. I'm going to invite us to stand together, and let's Let's just close with a, a prayer of benediction as we ask God to uh, um, have his hand on uh, John and Lori and the kids, uh, the ministry at Temple, and, and of course the ministry here. And uh, let's give God the glory for the great things that are going to continue to happen in, in, in both of these communities uh, as together we serve. Father, you have, um, you have been with us this morning, and we praise you for that. We thank you that you are the God of all comforts, and the God of great love. And uh, Lord, as John has been sharing from your word this morning, we certainly 
uh, hear the passionate call that you have placed on his life to be ready and available in whatever way you call him. And Lord, I just pray that you will richly bless him and Lori and the kids. Lord, as they take this next call, uh, this next ministry call and assignment in Cambridge, Lord, we pray for Temple Baptist, for their leadership team, for their congregation. And for that community, Lord, as John goes to to give them leadership in the fall, Lord, I pray that it will be a rich time of ministry, um, Lord, that uh, your your kingdom would continue to grow and be built in that particular community, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we have confidence also here that, uh, that you will fill the needs that exist here as John departs. And, uh, Lord, we know that there's much work to be done here uh, as we look at the needs around us. So we praise you that you are a great God and King, that you have us in the palm of your hand. And, Lord, that as you move us and uh, shake us and disturb us, Lord, that you don't leave us or forsake us, but instead you give us the energy and power uh, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to do your kingdom's work. Lord, thank you for this day that, we have, uh, that we've already shared together, Lord. Uh, we give you praise for our time. And again, we conclude our morning giving you thanks and all the glory, praying this in Christ's name. Amen.